It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. The Democrat Party and the American Marxists, they're one and the same. So are the media. And they've been thinking they had a clear path. Whether it's abortion, whether it's prayer, whether it's imposing their ideology on your school kids. A clear path. Destroying the notion of binary sexes that goes back what? As far as man and woman themselves? They lie about the language. They lie about biology. They lie about American history. And they felt they've had a clear path. You're pushing back. And some of our institutions are pushing back. They refuse to be threatened. They refuse to collapse. But this is the ongoing battle. This is what's taking place right now. The Democrat Party doesn't support Roe versus Wade. Doesn't even support the Casey decision in 1992. The Democrat Party insists on nationwide, every corner of this country, embracing infanticide. That's its position. That's its official position. And it is amazing to me, with all these Sunday hosts, only one, Martha McCollum, asked Stacey Abrams if she favors any limits on abortion. And she wouldn't answer effectively. Because they don't. They do not favor any limits on abortion. Now it's time to push back, America. It's time to defend our justices in this court and what they did. It's time to push back. The court didn't rule that abortion is unconstitutional. The court didn't rule that abortion is constitutional. The court ruled it's none of its business. But that was a bridge too far. That was a bridge too far. So we hear from exactly the same people who hate Trump, from exactly the same people who lied about Russia collusion, from exactly the same people who insist on masks and vaccines, exactly the same people who lie to us day in and day out, the Chuck Todds of the world. I'll get to him in a minute. Dishonest, ideologically driven, power-hungry individuals. All organized under the Democrat Party and beyond. They are at war with this country. They are threatening justices. They are threatening to change the Supreme Court. They have called the court illegitimate. They've insisted that their mob take to the streets. They've insisted that they will defy the court. Should not the January 6th committee close its doors forever now and just abandon its illegitimate pursuit? The answer is yes. We had a decision today. 
Straightforward case. Football coach. Coach Joseph Kennedy, as written by Post Millennial. He'd lost his job as a coach because he he would kneel in midfield post games to offer prayer, usually about 30 seconds. The fine was because the Bremerton School District believed that to allow Kennedy to pray would indicate that they were endorsing his religious beliefs. How? I have no idea. But Justice Gorsuch wrote for the majority, six to three, that reasoning was misguided. Both the free exercise and free speech clauses of the First Amendment protect expressions like Mr. Kennedy's. Well, at first, Kennedy offered the prayer on his own. Over time, student players voluntarily wanted to and did join him. When the athletes asked if they could join him, Kennedy told them, it's a free country, you can do what you want. And so they did. Kennedy served at the school for seven years before there was any issue or complaint, while either his players on the field or others. So the claim was that Kennedy had violated the Establishment Clause, you know, because standing in the middle of a field after a game, kneeling and saying a prayer where other people voluntarily join you is clearly the establishment of religion, right? Gorsuch wrote that, nor does a proper understanding of the Amendment's Establishment Clause require the government to single out private religious speech for special disfavor. The Constitution... And the best of our traditions counsel mutual respect and tolerance, not censorship and suppression for religious and non-religious views alike. Exactly. Now, after Coach Kennedy received the letter, he complied with its terms, got the letter from the school, which included no longer referencing his religious beliefs and motivational speeches, no longer offering locker room prayer and giving up the midfield post-game prayers. But for Kennedy, this this became difficult, the mid-post-game prayers, midfield, and he felt that he had broken his commitment to God. And giving up the practice, he pushed back against the school and this restriction, asked to be allowed to offer pr- his own prayer. But the school declined to make any allowances. Said Kennedy could not appear to endorse prayer while on duty as a coach paid by the school district. But Kennedy kept praying often waiting until the prayers were engaged in something else, the players, that is, off the field. But players continued to join him voluntarily. The school wanted to hide his faith, but the court declared this to be a violation. Gorsuch said that the First Amendment doubly protects religious speech is no accident. It is a natural outgrowth of the framers' distrust of government attempts to regulate religion and suppress dissent. The contested exercise before us does not involve leading prayers with the team or before any other captive audience. Mr. Kennedy's religious beliefs do not require him to lead any prayer involving students. At the district's request, he voluntarily discontinued the school tradition of locker room prayers and his post-game religious talks to students. But they disciplined him only for his decision to persist in praying quietly without his players after three games in October 2015. And in forbidding Mr. Kennedy's brief prayer, the district failed to act pursuant to a neutral and generally applicable rule. So what do the other three do? The three radicals on the bench. 
who nobody ever protests, nobody ever demeans, nobody ever calls liars, nobody ever attacks their spouses, assuming they have spouses. No. What do they do? More knee-jerk pablum. Sotomayor, of course, writes the, the dissent for the three. It says, among other things, it forces states to be entangled with religion. How? Does Sotomayor understand, do any of these people understand, that she is carrying the banner for Justice Black? Justice Hugo Black? This separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, was in a letter that Jefferson wrote, is cited all the time, and Jefferson himself wasn't even at the Constitutional Convention, he was in France. How does that force the state to be entangled with religion? Hugo Black, I told you about the Everson case, but it wasn't just that case. Was a lawyer for the Klan. He became a senator from Alabama. He became a great advocate of FDR and the New Deal. Which is why he was FDR's first choice to go in the Supreme Court. He was a reliable rubber stamp. And he despised the Catholic Church and the Pope. And he led this charge on quote-unquote separation of church and state. So this really is appalling. And so this cultural Marxism that's being pushed by the left, by the Democrat Party, by their surrogates, by their representatives, got another kick in the nuts today with this decision. It's a modest decision, as the abortion decision was a modest decision. A very modest decision. Nobody took anything from anybody. Nobody gave anything to anybody. Joseph Kennedy was the victim. And by the way, on this abortion issue, you understand there's an entire abortion industry out there. Whether it's Planned Parenthood and hundreds of other groups where people make their money advocating for abortion and performing abortions. And the more abortions they can perform, the bigger their organization gets, the more money they make. Abortion on demand. That is the position of the Democrat Party. And what they sought to do, right after this decision, the first draft was leaked. What they sought to do was to wipe out virtually every single regulation in every state with a federal law that imposed abortion on demand, partial birth abortion on the entire country. That's what they sought to do. It was so bad that Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski were fairly radical pro-aborts. Could not even vote for it. Even they couldn't vote for it. But every one of these so-called moderate Democrat senators out of the mansion, every single one of them voted for it. 
And I watched very carefully. Not a single Sunday show, Mr. Producer. Not on CBS, NBC, ABC. Not a single network Sunday show. Not one had the guts to show what partial birth abortion is. Not one. Why is that? Why didn't they run it, show it, and say this is what the Democrat Party supports? This is what they support. Not Roe v. Wade that had three trimesters with the last trimester allowing for a state interest because the state had a fundamental right and interest. No. They wanted to blow through all the state restrictions. We're not having a logical, truthful debate in this country. 90% of the morons in the streets don't even understand what they're fighting for. 90% of the journalists are lying through their damn teeth. Mark Levin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. Violence in Eugene, Oregon. Violence in Phoenix, Arizona. Violence in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, yes. Violence in many places in the country. Insurrectionists, you might say. Led by journalists. I want you to listen to one more of these clips. One more. This is uh, Cut 13, Chuck Todd and Cortez. Go ahead. Do you think lying lying in a confirmation hearing is an impeachable offense? I believe so. I believe so. I believe lying under oath is an impeachable offense. So there you go. I mean, so Chuck Todd is putting a target on these Supreme Court justices. Martha Raddatz is putting a target on these Supreme Court justices. And they're trying to destroy the institution of the Supreme Court. So are the Democrats and the Democrat Party. Doing the same thing. The same thing. It's really quite amazing. Um, Elizabeth Warren's quoted all over the place demanding that we expand the number of Supreme Court justices. And what do they mean by expanding the number of justices? 
I mean, like putting radicals on it. Otherwise, why expand it? But this is the kind of people who are on these Sunday shows. Let's meet the press. Here is ABC's This Week. Elizabeth Warren, cut 11, go. They went to the polls, just like your constituents in Massachusetts where abortion is legal. So why not leave it to the states? We have never left individual rights to the states. Now, there you have somebody who comes from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Boston is where the revolution actually began. Boston, Massachusetts. We never left individual rights to the states. Is she out of her mind? When the Constitution was originally ratified, it didn't have the Bill of Rights. Later, the Bill of Rights would come to protect the individual from the federal government. The states then, and mostly now, are in charge of all, virtually all criminal laws and codes, except for that where the federal government steps in. All health is to be focused on plenary powers of the states. Are you kidding me? Individual rights were never the authority of the states? In fact, the original Ten Amendments, the Bill of Rights, at first didn't even apply to the states. The Supreme Court would eventually apply one after another after another. But they never originally applied to the states. We have people who are talking who don't even know what they're talking about. So here you have Martha Raddatz talking to Elizabeth Warren. To what end, ladies and gentlemen? To what end? Two left-wing abortion radicals who apparently support aborting babies even though the science tells you they're babies, who apparently oppose any restrictions on abortion, which is why not a single Democrat is asked about it except for Martha McCallum on Sunday. AOC's not asked about it. And why do we care what AOC has to say anyway? But take to the streets, they say. In the meantime, as I speak to you, John Eastman, who is one of Donald Trump's lawyers. Apparently, let's see here. This is just news that's just breaking. This is CNN. The FBI seized the phone of former President Donald Trump's election attorney, John Eastman, last week, according to a new court filing from the lawyer. Eastman disclosed the search and seizure in federal court in a lawsuit that he filed in New Mexico today, calling it improper. About six federal investigators approached the right-wing lawyer. It's a right-wing lawyer. Do you ever hear them call Mark Elias a left-wing lawyer? In New Mexico, when he was exiting a restaurant after dinner with his wife and a friend, according to the court filings. Agents were able to get access to Eastman's email accounts on his iPhone 12 Pro, the filing said. Eastman contends the agents forced him to unlock his phone, a seizure warrant document, 
included in Eastman's filing, noted any electronic devices agencies were to be sent to Washington, D.C., or the Justice Department Inspector General's forensic lab in Northern Virginia. Eastman is asking a federal judge to force the department to return his property, destroy the records it has obtained, and block investigators from being allowed to access the phone. So if there's a warrant, this is coming from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C., with the approval of the Attorney General of the United States. You know how I know that, Mr. Producer? Because having served as a chief of staff to an Attorney General of the United States, that's how this works. So they have a federal grand jury, they have a federal criminal investigation now into challenges to the election. This is another extremely dangerous road these people are going down. Attorney-client privilege and confidentiality of no consequence if you can paint it with the patina of criminality. You folks who have attorneys, you better pay attention and keep this in mind. Because the entire system of confidential representation is now out the window as a result of what the Democrats are doing with Trump and the Trump presidency. Whether it was this clown Cohen in New York are now these clowns here. The search and seizure occurred the same day that federal agents raided the home of Jeffrey Clark, the former Justice Department lawyer sympathetic to Trump's conspiracies of election fraud. What exactly did Eastman do? What federal crime did he commit? Even... The wildest imagination outside the box. What could it possibly be? What could it possibly be? You take this, the war on the Supreme Court, the threat against the life of a Supreme Court justice, the violent riots taking place in certain cities, the media in America urging for the impeachment of constitutionalists on the Supreme Court. The media in America saying that the right to an abortion has been ripped from women. We are in a domestic cultural civil war in this country right now. Meanwhile, clear path to critical race theory. Clear path to transgenderism and sexualization of our children. Clear path. You know, there's a piece here written by a guy who I don't know, Ian Hayworth. But it doesn't matter if I know him or not. He raises a very interesting point. Why are all these major corporations... Why are all these major corporations prepared to pay for abortions? Why? Well, of course, part of the reason is uh, these corporatists come out of the same indoctrination mills, Ivy League schools and so forth, as the rest of the American Marxist movement. But he raises a very interesting point, this guy. 
While the pro-abortion movement is celebrating this widespread corporate response, they're missing one crucial detail. This has nothing to do with women's rights, he argues, and everything to do with profiteering. If it takes the murder of unborn to protect their profits, so be it. For these female employees, yes, because one woman can have babies, y'all. What is the alternative to abortion? The likely alternative is giving birth to a human being and then taking maternity leave to care for the newborn child. Later, some women may never return to the workforce. Currently, the Walt Disney Company offers employees five weeks of paid maternity leave, followed by four weeks of unpaid maternity leave. Tesla offers 12 weeks maternity leave. Goldman Sachs offers new parents a whopping 20 weeks of leave. Now, what's cheaper than paid leave and loss of productivity? A few days off to get an abortion? In a world where women are actively encouraged to get abortions in pursuit of equality, it is Is it any surprise that corporations will be willing to throw a few dollars in their direction to protect their bottom line? That's certainly possible, too. I take nothing off the table anymore, or virtually nothing anyway. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Several years ago, the candidate I supported for the Republican nomination for President of the United States was Ted Cruz. I've known Ted for decades, and we also supported him when he was not expected to win the Republican nomination for the Senate in the state of Texas. And we rallied a lot of people behind him, and he won that. And he almost won the nomination. He almost won the nomination in 2016. And then after the Republican convention, I endorsed Donald Trump, who I was planning to endorse before the nomination, because it was pretty obvious at that point that he was going to win. But nonetheless, I waited. He gave a speech in Gettysburg also that was fantastic. That really outlined his conservative agenda and promises, which pretty much served as the basis in many respects for his presidency should he win. And he carried through on everything he could possibly carry through on. I've become one of the biggest defenders of President Trump. Not because I agree with everything he says or does or so forth and so on. But because I do not like Marxism. I do not like fascism. I do not like the Democrat Party. I do not like the media. And I do not like what these people are doing. These self-appointed elitists in the establishment. I don't like how they're using the rule of law. How they're using criminal statutes how they use the impeachment clause, special prosecutors, to try and defeat their opponent. To me, this is even bigger than Donald Trump. It's what kind of country do we want to live in? Because these various forces, these various entities have enormous power. They're controlling your classrooms, they're controlling what your kids learn. Much of it is really horrendous. They're controlling what's happening in our economy. They're controlling movement from a capitalist system to an 
economic socialist system to a Marxist cultural system. They refuse to secure the sovereignty of this nation. They refuse to embrace our history. They refuse to embrace the Declaration and the Constitution. This is the battle. This has always been my battle here, as far as I'm concerned. And so when we have a committee set up in Congress that's of a like we've never seen in the history of the Congress, where every member of that committee is appointed by a particularly evil Speaker of the House, they have to pass her litmus test. Every one of them. Where the minority party has no representation in that the minority party had no appointment authority. It's the first time we've ever seen this. And then predictably, with the invisible hand of Nancy Pelosi covering up her failures on January 6th, the two Republicans who most hate their target, Donald Trump, and seven of the most radical Democrats from Schiff to Raskin, to Thompson, and the rest. They're given free reign and endless budget. Federal prosecutors, subpoena power to do as they wish without any checks and balances. I object. I am repulsed by this. Period. And then the American media who have demonstrated who they are, their ideology, the fact that they lie repeatedly, the fact that they have built in biases and ideologies, and that they're going to promote them no matter what, either by omission and censorship or by commission. I reject this kind of propaganda. And so, in many ways, it's, in my view, left to me to explain what's going on with this committee, what's going on with Trump, as more and more people are increasingly frightened to speak out. What are you, a... uh, a sycophant for Trump? What, you have no integrity? What? No, it's quite the opposite. Everything I'm saying is about integrity. The integrity of the system. The very people who've been trashing the Supreme Court. The very people who want to destroy the third branch of government. The very people who want to destroy separation of powers. The very people who want to criminalize politics. The very people who don't say squat about a potential assassination effort against a Supreme Court justice who they character assassinated already and yet sit on this committee. We looked. They've said nothing about this. The very people who basically celebrated the riots of the summer of 2020 who called law enforcement stormtroopers. They're now in charge of again investigating Trump. How many false charges have there been made against Trump? Can you even count them? Can you even count them? How many false charges have been made by the Democrats or regurgitated by never Trumpers, regurgitated by the media, and not just once or twice, and not just over a period of a day or two, 
scores of times over a period of years. Over a period of years. Allegation after allegation after allegation of the most heinous kind. That Donald Trump disrespected the dead at Normandy. No, he didn't. That Donald Trump winked at Vladimir Putin and basically said and did nothing about the assassination of American troops in the field. It was a lie. A complete lie. And it went on and on and on. That Donald Trump doesn't pay his taxes. That's been going on for years. Despite endless investigations by different jurisdictions. That Donald Trump was making money off his hotel in Washington in violation of the Constitution's Emoluments Clause. Even a judge in Washington had to throw that out. It was so ridiculous. And now... They're trying to piece together a case, a criminal case, that Donald Trump is criminally culpable for a seditious conspiracy. Wow, seditious conspiracy. Now we know that's true because Peter Baker of the New York Times, the Holocaust-denying New York Times, cites Saul Weisenberg, who's, uh, I guess, his fame to claim, or claim to fame, is that he was a former deputy, as were others, under Ken Starr when he was independent counsel. They used to hate those guys. Now they like him. They used to hate Bill Barr, but now they like him. You get the point. And so you have a New York Times phony reporter, quoting Weisenberg, there isn't any question this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability on seditious conspiracy charges. This is Saul Weisenberg, a former federal prosecutor. You hear that sentence? There isn't any question that this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability, not even a charge, his culpability in the seditious conspiracy charges. That's it. Saul has spoken. Not Solomon. Saul has spoken. So that's news for the New York Times. It's news. And today we had explosive, dramatic testimony from Cass Hutchison, somebody I never heard of before, but she's very important. Shocking new evidence from a person who apparently witnessed everything. Trump, Pence, Meadows, White House lawyers, Republican members of Congress. And if she wasn't an eyewitness, she heard everything from other people. And the committee finally, after four tries of getting sworn testimony from her, finally she came forward with all the information because she changed lawyers, she says. Her prior lawyers were kind of Trump supporters, but her current lawyer was chief of staff to former attorney general. Uh, what's his name from Alabama? I can't even remember. Yes, yeah, Sessions. Uh, you're supposed to give sworn testimony, fulsome and accurate, regardless of who your lawyer is. So that seemed like quite an excuse. And we got to get her testimony out today in an emergency hearing in front of the public. Why? 
because of threats against her. Now, if there's threats against her, those people need to be prosecuted, unlike the threats against Supreme Court justices, apparently. But that said, that has nothing to do with getting her testimony out today. Nothing. But they finally found the witness. And every single thing she said went unchallenged. Everything. And here we have former federal prosecutors, lawyers with bar licenses, talking about, quote, there isn't any question this establishes a prima facie case for his criminal culpability on seditious conspiracy charges. You know, Saul Weisenberg, I used to have respect for you. Not anymore. That's one of the biggest dumbass comments I've ever heard under these circumstances. Under these circumstances. And as I said, she provided testimony earlier, several different occasions. But now she has a new lawyer. And this is why she felt she could say more. Or some would say embellish. And we get that phrase again from the media. If true, if true, if true. And one thing she said was more fantastic than the next. More fantastic than the next. No wonder they wanted an emergency hearing. According to her subpoena, Hutchison was not only at the White House on January 6th, but she'd been with Trump during his speech at the Stop and Steal rally on the eclipse, where he urged his supporters to fight like hell. I'm reading this from a news account at AOL. Before promising to march with them to the Capitol. Now he urged them to do more than that. Didn't he say, be peaceful and patriotic, Mr. Producer? So why would they leave this out of a news story? The story goes on. Under her former boss, who was Mark Meadows, he refused to cooperate with House investigators. Hutchison has appeared before the committee on four separate occasions, so today was the fifth. Since the beginning of this year, in fact, following her most recent deposition in May... A source reportedly told CNN that Hutchison believes she's being forced to testify due to Meadows' refusal to comply with his own subpoena. The same source, that's a committee member, said at the time that Hutchison would likely make another appearance before the committee, possibly during the public hearing. So five appearances. And earlier on, she felt forced. In other words, put upon because they're relentless, put upon, but not anymore. Now she's a hero. Article says later, there are quotes from Hutchison's March 7 deposition, in which he told investigators, I know that there were concerns brought forward to Mr. Meadows, and I know that people have brought information forward to him that had indicated that there could be violence on the 6th, but again, I'm not sure if he, what he did with the information. Later on it goes on. Another key line of inquiry for the select committee has been what exactly the president was doing while an angry mob of his supporters violently ransacked the Capitol and why it took 187 minutes before National Guard troops and additional police were sent to the Capitol to stop them. First of all, those guardsmen have to be requested. 
Secondly, there hasn't been one bit of testimony or anybody reading from the monitor in the pre-Fed script that Donald Trump offered the National Guard, which is why I'm having our friend Cash Patel on this program in 15 minutes, because he was eyewitness to that. And they haven't played his deposition where he says that. And if in fact they knew that it was going to be violent, which is a big part of her testimony today, why didn't they accept the National Guard on Capitol Hill? If the executive branch knew it, and the executive branch offered National Guard, then Nancy Pelosi had to know, Congress had to know, and they wouldn't accept additional National Guardsmen or even additional cops. Doesn't that seem like a logical follow-up with Ms. Hutchison and the committee? Mark Levin. The Great One makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. The so-called legal analysts, a.k.a. the legal analysts, have made asses of themselves. Most of the media... Once again, making asses of themselves. Even some conservative media, and I'll get to them. Then I'll get to them. Why is this witness, Cass Hutchison, considered credible? She's seen as credible. I keep hearing that. Mick Mulvaney, the former failed acting chief of staff to Donald Trump, he's all in. The many faces of Mick. He wasn't an eyewitness to anything, but don't worry. He knows everything that took place. Old Mick Mulvaney. That's fine. Saul Weisenheimer, former assistant independent counsel working for Ken Starr, he was convinced, convinced that we now have absolute evidence of culpability, culpability, that Donald Trump has committed seditious conspiracy. Wow. Based on the testimony of one person whose testimony was never challenged. Or was it? This young lady's 25 years old. Some say 26 years old. She's young. She was not a senior assistant to the President of the United States. She testified before this committee in secret four different times. You saw, those of you who watched or listened, her fifth time. Why would they need to talk to her five times? Why? Ask any real lawyer why. Because they were wearing her down, pressing her, pressing her, pressing her. Many hours each time. And they got to her in my humble opinion. She even changed lawyers, we were told. Committee told the press she changed lawyers. Why? Well, because her former lawyers were too close to Trump. Her present lawyers are not, and they were encouraging her to speak more forthrightly. Oh, okay. I see. Interesting. Why did they have to have the testimony yesterday? Because she had death threats. Which is outrageous, but what does that have to do with testifying yesterday at some emergency hearing? 
as any good lawyer will tell you, the reason they wanted that testimony on the public record was to lock it in as fast as they could before she might change her mind. That's why. The committee, as I speak, is in full cover-up mode, trying to do damage control, but it's still getting support at MSNBC and CNN. It's still getting support from certain legal analysts over at National Review and elsewhere. Oh, yes. They're talking to all kinds of former federal prosecutors as if they're the experts on this matter. They're not the experts on anything. Right, Saul? But she was credible, ladies and gentlemen. And the marquee issue that came out yesterday, which we discussed immediately, was this issue of what happened in the beast. And the beast, I'm told, we're told, is the name of the vehicle the president is in. Really? Oh, yes. Now, she's never been in the beast. And there's a Secret Service agent with the president and another specially trained individual who drives the car. What did I say yesterday? Even before NBC News broke the story that these Secret Service agents do not agree with the testimony given. Not just hearsay once, it's considered double hearsay. Because the Secret Service agent who spoke to Ms. Hutchison He didn't witness anything either. So what he was saying was hearsay. And what she was hearing then is considered double hearsay. But here's the problem. The Secret Service agent, who she says she overheard, he's now saying he never said it. Wow. They're all prepared to testify under oath. And the January 6th committee, including the Staff, the 11 former federal prosecutors, two of whom are former U.S. attorneys, never asked the Secret Service about the information that was being provided to the committee by Ms. Hutchison. They never asked if there was any dispute between those who were actually there and her and her testimony. Now, why didn't they ask? Because they they already knew the answer. You see, they already interviewed two of the Secret Service agents. Neither of whom spoke about some physical alteration with Donald Trump in the beast. In fact, we've since learned more that Donald Trump wasn't in the beast at the time. She says he was in the beast. He was in an SUV, an armored SUV. And another person has said who knows about the interior of the beast that it would have been impossible for Donald Trump to reach from the back to the front to grab the steering wheel, to grab the agent's arm, or to lunge at his throat. Because the vehicle isn't built that way. There's a separation between the back and the front. But don't worry. Mick Mulvaney tells us she's credible. Don't worry. Saul Weisenheimer says there's evidence of seditious conspiracy. And I'll get to some of this again. Don't worry. Now, the great witness is under scrutiny. But it doesn't matter to most of the media. They're all in. It doesn't matter. Now, ladies and gentlemen, 
We all should have learned by now to wait when we hear people make these accusations against Trump. They always turn out to be false. The media lie. The media lie on behalf of liars. The legal analysts are mostly fools with an agenda. With an agenda. We've heard endless, ridiculous allegations from Russia collusion and the dossier right up to yesterday's testimony. Five and a half years of this bullcrap. Five and a half years of dishonesty, railroading, threatening. And this is just more of it. This is more of it. So certain press are now making inquiries of the committee to explain why they didn't get a collaboration from a double hearsay witness. The committee is not answering. The communications director to Secret Service said that we have always offered any information we have, whether it be in terms of uh, documentary evidence or witnesses to the committee without objection. Why didn't the committee try and corroborate what she said? They have no idea. These agents have come out publicly. They came out publicly yesterday and they offered themselves to give Sworn testimony under penalty of perjury, which must now be done in public, since the libel, the libel that was used to try and destroy Donald Trump was set in public. It was set in public. Here is exactly what Mick Mulvaney's favorite witness had to say yesterday that's Cassidy Hutchinson cut 21 go when you returned to the White House in the motorcade after the president's speech where did you go when I returned to the White House I walked upstairs towards chief of staff's office by the way rewind it to the front Mr. Producer you notice Lynn Cheney is the queen of the leading question She already knows the answer to the question. She already knows that this is a double hearsay witness. And she already knows there's no collaboration. None. She already knows that they did not go back to the Secret Service to inquire of the accuracy of the information. And she didn't care. Now, this isn't the first time this committee has pulled such stunts. It has altered evidence. It has altered texts. It has put in place a process to ensure a narrative, and to also ensure the lack, the lack of cross-examination, the lack of contrary evidence, the lack of contrary witnesses. It's ensured that it'll get its narrative out. It's only because brave people, patriots, come forward and say, wait a minute, it didn't happen that way. And it's only because, to be honest... I have the spine behind this microphone to raise questions early on in the process, early on in the testimony yesterday, right, Mr. Producer? I said, all right, I guess I'm the one. I'll challenge what's taking place. Go ahead. When you returned to the White House in the motorcade 
After the president's speech, where did you go? When I returned to the White House, I walked upstairs towards the chief of staff's office, and I noticed Mr. Renato lingering outside of the office. And once we had made eye contact, he quickly waved me to go into his office, which was just across the hall from mine. When I went in, he shut the door, and I noticed... Now, I want you to listen to the explicit detail. To the explicit detail. Mr. Arnato is a Secret Service agent at the White House. Name is Anthony, Tony. He saw her and he waved her into his office. A junior staffer. Go ahead. Mr. Trump's security detail, sitting in a chair, just looking somewhat discombobulated and a little lost. Um, so here's I a look- Secret Service agent on the president's detail, looking discombobulated and a little lost. So who better to call in than Ms. Hutchison? Go ahead. And he had said, did you effing hear what happened in the Beast? I said, no, Tony, I, I just got back. What happened? Tony proceeded to tell me that when the president got in the beast, he was under the impression from Mr. Meadows that the off-the-record movement to the Capitol was still possible and likely to happen, but that Bobby had more information. So once the president had gotten into the vehicle with Bobby, he thought that they were going up to the Capitol, and when Bobby had relayed to him, we're not, we don't have the assets to do it, it's not secure. So the president, just saying, the president gets into the beast, his vehicle. And he still thinks he can go to the Capitol. But he's told by the agent there, Bobby, no, you can't. I find this perplexing, don't you, Mr. Producer? Why would the president get into a vehicle thinking he can go to the Capitol, but he can't? So what did they do? Go to McDonald's? I don't understand. I really don't understand. Isn't this the kind of discussion, logically, that would occur before he gets into the beast? Now, the president has a schedule. What did the schedule say? Go ahead. The West Wing, the president had very strong, very angry response to that. Um... Tony described him as being irate. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Angle. And Mr. when Mr. Renato had recounted this story to me, he had motioned towards his clavicles. Does that make any sense to anybody? You know, folks, as somebody who has spent a lifetime studying history, studying civilizations, forms of government, studying our 
our country, its establishment, its history, studying the media, Marxism. I fear for what's happening here. The totalitarianism is growing. The power of the federal government is growing. The inequality, I'm not talking about race, the ideological inequality is being criminalized. The the use of law to destroy the legitimacy of the law is moving towards an apex. Crimes are being concocted. Criminal statutes are being stretched. Citizens are being targeted because of who they are, what they believe. Certain people can protest violently. Certain people can't even protest. Certain presidents can abuse the Constitution ten times before breakfast. Other presidents who don't are threatened with impeachment, impeached, and have special counsel appointed. I watch what's going on here, and my great fear is that with the prodding of this Stalinist committee, And the push with the Pravda media in America. And the political ideological partisans that run our justice system right now, from the U.S. Attorney's Office in D.C. to the Attorney General's Office, who targeted parents and others. That these fools will be arrogant enough to actually indict a former president with phony, nebulous charges by stretching the limits of federal criminal statutes that have no application and never intended to have an application to what it is they are trying to do. And what they are trying to do whether you support Trump, whether you support somebody else in the Republican Party, is beside the point. Is trying to determine the outcome of the next presidential election, who the Republicans nominate and who they don't. Even more, what they're trying to do is create fear among you. You better not show up at protests because if a couple of nutjobs get violent, even if you're a half mile away from them, it will affect you. You will be hunted down. You will lose your job. It'll be a scarlet letter on your forehead for the rest of your life. Family and friends will turn against you forever. What's taking place in Washington is like nothing we've ever seen, ever. The exploitation of the events of January 6th. This committee's conduct is utterly unconstitutional. 
its seizure of records, its threats against former administration officials. They literally seek to put former Trump officials in prison for not complying with their Stalinist demands. With the help of a U.S. attorney who is a political hack and has always been a political hack, under the tutelage of an attorney general who's a political hack and will do whatever it is that is demanded of him from the hard left, the media, and the White House. Should they indict a former president? I fear what could happen. I fear right now. And the media just so blithely, just so matter-of-factly, talk about indicting Trump, former federal prosecutors, so casually talk about seditious conspiracy and culpability and obstruction, that of course they need to bring charges against Trump. In a city that voted 92% for Joe Biden. 92% for Joe Biden. With the backing of a media. That is at least 90% Democrat and 100% radical. I fear. Greatly. For what's happened. And what might happen. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Nashville, Tennessee, the FBI is joining in on a Nashville attempted arson investigation. Metropolitan Nashville Police Department states the FBI is now helping specialized investigations division detectives and hazardous devices unit officers in the investigation of attempted arson of the Hope Clinic for Women on Hayes Street a pro-life resource center. This is happening all over the country. This is happening all over the country. Now, knowing that it's happening all over the country, Joe Biden oversees in Spain, at a NATO news conference, attacks the Supreme Court and attacks the holding in Dobbs. Cut one, go. America is back was your motto at the first NATO summit last year. And you've come to this summit here and the one in Germany after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned constitutional protections for abortion, after the shootings in Buffalo and Texas, at a time of record inflation and as new polling this week shows that 85% of the U.S. public thinks the country is going in the wrong direction. How do you explain this to those people who feel the country is going in the wrong direction, including some of the leaders you've been meeting with this week who think that when you put all of this together, it amounts to an America that is going backwards? let Let me stop it here. First of all, I don't know who this reporter is. But that is a highly inappropriate (coughs) question on foreign soil. Highly inappropriate. I don't care who the president is. I don't care who the president is. And that's how Joe Biden should have responded. This is a highly 
inappropriate question. I'm here in Spain dealing with NATO, but that's not what he did. Go ahead. They do not think that. You haven't found one person, one world leader to say America's going backwards. America's better positioned to lead the world than we ever have been. He's such a disgusting liar. But go ahead. I mean, the world, our inflation rates are lower than other nations in the world. He's such a liar. That's so untrue, but it doesn't matter, does it? Go ahead. Been destabilizing is the outrageous behavior of the Supreme Court of the United States on overruling not only Roe v. Wade, but essentially challenging the right to privacy. All right, so let's stop there. It's propaganda like this coming from him, coming from AOC, coming from Nancy Pelosi, coming from Schumer, and coming from the American media, media, among others. That is essentially giving license to the violence. Now, they'll deny it, but how can they deny it? This is essentially giving license to the violence. How can they condemn Donald Trump, who has never said anything close to what these people say? When on the other hand, in living color right now, they're conducting themselves this way. So he takes the opportunity in a multifaceted question to trash the Supreme Court. That the Supreme Court is destabilizing, he would say. Destabilizing. Cut two, go. The first and foremost thing we should do is make it clear how outrageous this decision was and how much it impacts not just on woman's right to choose, which is a critical, critical piece, but on privacy generally. Let's stop again. I had a woman come up to me today, who I know. She works very hard, not college educated, doesn't matter, but has street smarts. And she says to me today, I'm concerned the Supreme Court's going to take away our privacy rights. Where'd she hear that from? Biden and Pelosi. Now, on my printout of the decision on page 71, the court specifically says they're not going to do that. The court specifically says we're not even addressing privacy rights. We're not addressing same-sex marriage, interracial marriage. We're not addressing contraceptives. We're not addressing any of it. And yet, Biden, the media, and the other Democrats insist on saying this. They insist on it. And he does it again right here. So when you're dealing with people who are unhinged and you are intentionally lying to them, you're intentionally pouring fuel on the fire of people who are poised to be angry. You are igniting that fire when you lie through your teeth about what the court did and said. 
when you lie through your teeth, knowing that there have been over 50 attacks, and in many cases, violent attacks on churches, on pregnancy centers, and on pro-life think tanks. And nobody will pull the line back between Biden and what's taking place here. Nobody. They'll accuse Trump of leading an attack on the Capitol building despite the contrary evidence that shows the opposite. But when it comes to Biden, Pelosi, Schumer, what he said about two of these justices, no accountability whatsoever. None. They are inflaming, inflaming these unhinged, obsessed people and their death cult. He goes on to say that we need to change the filibuster rule so we can codify Roe versus Wade. But they don't want to codify Roe versus Wade. They want to codify their own radical extremist position. That has nothing to do with Roe versus Wade. They want unlimited, late-term, one second before birth abortion. Now, we know this because that's the bill that was proposed in the Senate by Schumer that every Democrat but one voted in favor of. It would blow out every single restriction placed by every single state, including some blue states. How did this Dobbs case get to the Supreme Court in the first place? Does anybody know? Because one of the abortion clinics in Mississippi opposed the Mississippi law that required with certain main major exceptions the outlawing of abortion. Now everybody's running around and saying 15 weeks, 15 weeks. That's what the Mississippi law said, 15 weeks. Because by almost five months, we know the technology can keep that baby alive. The Democrats do not support Roe versus Wade. They support a federally funded absolute right to abortion at any time and object to any restrictions whatsoever. Period. Only six states in the United States do that. Only six states in the United States. Now, that may change. But the Democrats want to nationalize what these six states have done. And impose it on 44 other states. That's number one. People need to understand what the Democrats support. Number two, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled there is no federal right to abortion. Can you just change that with a law and say we will create one? Now, the lesser-minded lawyers out there, dressed up as legal analysts, they'll turn to the Interstate Commerce Clause, the Commerce Clause. 
the interstate commerce clause? We're talking about abortion within a state's borders, not beyond a state's borders. That is, a state can't legislate, Texas cannot legislate for Oklahoma. New York can't legislate for Connecticut. We're talking about abortions, or no abortions, or abortions with exceptions, within state borders. It has nothing to do with interstate commerce. Nothing. They will fire back because of the limitations of their cranium, and they will say, yes, but that's actually been expanded under the Wickard case, and so forth. In other words... Even activities within a state can affect commerce. And that was a case about a farmer growing wheat who sold it within the state and also used it for his family's own consumption and the consumption of the animals on his farm. And the court brilliantly ruled that that affects interstate commerce. So that interstate commerce means anything. And that's how we got the massive regulatory state we have today. But did they just miss the Supreme Court ruling? It says there is no federal constitutional right to abortion. The court didn't say, wait a minute, it's right there in the interstate commerce clause. It's right there. No, they didn't. So you think they'd circle back and revisit the interstate commerce clause, Mr. Producer? It's ludicrous. It's stupid. It's idiotic. Congress does not have the power. Hello, you heard it here first. Congress does not have the power to quote-unquote codify Roe. So two points. They have no intention of codifying Roe. They want to codify infanticide. Hello, America. They want to codify infanticide, which is actually done in six states. They're in a very, very tiny majority. So the Republicans need to expose them. And their press, you know, like the Washington Examiner, National Review, the Wall Street Journal editorial page, need to start paying attention to this rather than trashing Trump. And they need to start asking the politicians out there, do you believe in any limits whatsoever on abortion? Stacey Abrams couldn't answer the question because Martha McCullum asked her and she wouldn't answer it. None of them will answer it, including Biden. None of them. And number two, where does Congress get the power to quote-unquote codify codify a federal abortion law and blow out every single state law? Didn't the court just rule that the states have the authority? And besides... You think the court will revisit this and use the Commerce Clause and say, oops, wait a minute, we missed the Commerce Clause. No, I don't think so. We're not talking about a bottle of ketchup here, ladies and gentlemen.